Hi everyone and welcome to the fourth episode of Ode to the Code, a podcast by Law School Policy Review on the Code of Civil Procedure. In this episode, I will deal with an interesting range of issues under the Commercial Codes Act. Now, as you might be aware, this act was enacted in 2015 and has a fairly straightforward scheme in that it contains 23 sections in and of itself and then it contains a schedule which tweaks certain provisions of the Code of Civil Procedure. So when read together with these amendments and with its 23 sections, you'll get the entire scheme of the legislation. Now, various courts across the country over the last few years have noted the intent behind enacting this legislation. And I think it's quite useful to read one such excerpt from a judgment before we proceed with this episode, just to set the tone. So I will be reading paragraph 16 from the Gujarat High Court's decision in the Ujwala Rajay case. So the court has said, the object and purpose of establishment of commercial courts is to ensure that the cases involved in commercial disputes are disposed of expeditiously, fairly, and at reasonable cost to the litigant. The commercial courts, commercial divisions, and commercial appellate divisions of high courts are intended to serve as a pilot project in the larger goal of reforming the civil justice system in India. As per the recommendations made by the Law Commission on the basis of which the commercial courts have been established, these courts more particularly will benefit the litigant, other potential litigants, especially those engaged in trade and commerce, shall also be advantaged by the reduction in backlog caused by the quick disposal of commercial disputes, which in turn will further economic growth, increase foreign investment, and make India an attractive place to do business. End quote. So in the first segment of the episode, I'll try to explain the process of something called delayed disclosure of documents by defendants in commercial suits. Now, the second segment is about the process of transfer of a regular suit to the commercial division. And in the third and final part, I will link the first two segments. So essentially, the question that I'll try to answer is this. After a suit has been transferred to the commercial division, what happens in case of delayed disclosure of documents? Now, I know that this issue is oddly specific, but bear with me because it involves a lot of fun statutory interpretation. Um, needless to say, this episode involves a lot of me reading and interpreting the Bear Act, so I would advise you to keep a copy of the Commercial Courts Act and the CPC handy while you're listening. It goes without saying that I will only discuss the relevant parts of these provisions, so at your own convenience, do go through the provisions in full to get a much more holistic picture. Um, just by way of putting out a glossary before I start, in this episode, when I say Act, I mean the Commercial Courts Act. So now let's straight uh, just jump into it. So this is segment one of episode four, Delayed Disclosure of Documents by the Defendant. Now, item 4E of the schedule to the Act replaces the old Order 11 of the CPC in its entirety and introduces a new version in its place. The production of documents by defendants is governed by the new Order 11, Rule 1, Sub-Rule 7 and 10. So the chapeau 
to Rule 1 Sub Rule 7 enjoins the defendant to file all documents in its power, possession or custody along with the written statement, which basically means that you have to file all documents that you want to rely on if they are in your power, possession, custody or control while you are filing the written statement. Now, Rule 1 Sub Rule 7 Sub Sub Rule C relaxes this obligation to file along with the written statement for the purposes of certain categories of documents. So, essentially, Rule 17C states, Nothing in this rule shall apply to documents produced by the defendants and relevant only for three things. One, cross-examination of plaintiff's witnesses. Two, in answer to any case set up by the plaintiff subsequent to the filing of the plaint. And three, documents handed over to a witness merely to refresh their memory. So three categories of documents are exempt from the obligation to file at the time of filing the written statement. Now, Rule 1 Sub Rule 10 states that the defendant will not be allowed to rely on documents which were in its power, possession, control or custody and not disclosed along with the written statement, save and accept by leave of the court. So it further clarifies that such leave shall only be granted if the defendant is able to establish reasonable cause for non-disclosure at the time of filing the written statement. Now, of course, it carves out an exception for the three categories of documents mentioned under Rule 17C that I just told you about. So essentially, if you were to look at it, Rule 17 obligates the defendant to file all relevant documents at the time of filing the written statement and Rule 110 clarifies the consequences of failing to do so in addition to offering you a way out. So what emerges from this discussion is that if the defendant wants to rely on documents that have not been filed at the appropriate stage, in other words at the stage of filing the written statement or the counterclaim, then it has one of two possible routes. First, it may try and bring the document in question under one or more of the three categories enumerated under Rule 17C. Of course, only a document brought under the second category will enable permanent reliance throughout the course of the case, or at least that's my understanding. So this is because the other two categories are merely for cross-examination of the plaintiff's witness and to refresh the memory of the witness. It's only the second category which, in which you can introduce a document in response to a subsequent case set up by the plaintiff. Now that, that was the first route. The second is that the defendant may avail of the procedure to condone delay under Rule 10. So for this, the defendant will essentially have to make an application under this rule to obtain the leave of the court. To obtain such leave, in the application, it will have to convince the court that it had reasonable cause for non-disclosure of the document at the appropriate stage. So now, depending on how you look at it, either there is a very third and distinct route or a sub-route under the second one. So I am on the question of what constitutes power, possession, control or custody of the defendant. These big words. So let's say that the defendant wants to contend that it wishes to file a document at a delayed stage because it acquired it only recently. Or in other words, 
the document was not in its power, possession, control or custody at the time of filing the written statement or counterclaim. So there is no rule which provides for the possibility of making an application to avert this before the court. So these words, power, possession, control or custody, are only present as qualifiers before the obligation of the defendant to file documents at the stage of filing the written statement or counterclaim. The only way that I see for the defendant to do this is to make an application under Rule 110 and seek leave of the court by averring that the document in question was not in its power, possession, control or custody. Essentially, this then would constitute the reasonable cause which the defendant is required to show in order to obtain leave of the court to file the document at the delayed juncture. So I don't see this as a third distinct route for delayed filing, but as a mere instance of the second route, essentially a rule one sub rule 10 application before the court. So what I've just explained above is the process of delayed filing under the Commercial Courts Act. If one were to sift through all of this jargon, what is very apparent is that there is a clear attempt to expedite the filing of documents, the disclosure of documents, and to prevent the possibility of inefficiencies that are traditionally brought about by delayed disclosures. So we have completed the first segment of this episode, and we shall now move on to the second part, which is transfer of suits to a commercial court. But that will be right after we take a small commercial break. Keep listening. And I'm back. And just kidding, of course I don't have any commercial sponsors. Yet. <laughs> so now let's move on to the second segment of this episode. The only reason I wish to explain the process of transfer of suits is so that I can link it with delayed disclosure later. So I promise to propose a fascinating exercise in statutory interpretation once I have managed to link the two. So bear with me while I take you through the procedure for transfer of a regular suit to a commercial court. You can think of it as a necessary, albeit brief, rite of passage before we get to the fun part. So let's say a suit was filed before the act came into force, so before 2015. And the suit has been proceeding under the old CPC regime. Now, in 2015, the act comes into force. And all suits filed after the coming into force of the act, which fit within the definition of a commercial suit under the act, will be governed by the new regime. <clears throat> but now that this new and hip procedure is in place for speedy disposal of commercial suits, there needs to be a way to convert those old suits filed before 2015, which otherwise would have fallen within the parameters of a commercial suit. So essentially, think of the old suits as boomers, right? And the new mechanism under the Act is something that's new and hip that kids of today's generation are into. Then, the transfer of suits to the commercial division is basically the boomers wanting to be a part of the kids' new pop culture fad. And of course, before the analogy goes too far, let me get back to the letter of the law. Section 15 of the Act lays down the procedure for transfer of suits and applications to the commercial division. So there are two ways in which a transfer can happen, and it's fairly clear if you read the provision. The first is transfer by default, and the second is transfer by application. 
I'll deal with each of these in turn. So section 15.1 deals with transfer of suits from a high court. It states that all suits and applications relating to a commercial dispute of a specified value, which by the way is the parameter that I was talking about, that are pending before a high court where a commercial division has been constituted shall be transferred to the commercial division. Now what this basically means is that the court or its registry shall take stock of all pending suits before it which fall within the parameters of a commercial suit and then get those suits transferred to the commercial division. Of course, the high courts have come up with various rules to do this, but there is no real need for me to go into those for the purposes of this episode. Now, the other kind of transfer, uh, and I, before I get to the other kind, I'd just like to state that in transfer by default, it's not only suits which are pending before the high court that get transferred, it's also suits which are pending before civil courts and district courts in and around that high court, which get transferred to the commercial division. Now, coming to the second kind of transfer, it's contained in section 15.5. This is transfer by application. It provides that in the event that transfer by default fails to occur, the commercial appellate division of the high court may, on application of any of the parties to the suit, withdraw such suit or application from the court before which it is pending and have the same transferred to the commercial division. So there are various, so these are the two ways in which transfer can happen. And there are various riders that I want you to listen to very carefully, which are contained in section 15 itself. Now proviso to this section clarifies that when final judgment has been reserved by a court in a suit or application prior to the constitution of the commercial division, then no such suit or application shall be transferred under either method, so default or application. Now listen to this next sentence very carefully because it gets really important in a while. Section 15.3 clarifies that for the purposes of a transfer, the provisions of this act shall only apply to those procedures of the transferred suit that were not complete at the time of the transfer. So what this basically means is that the new expedited procedure in the new act will only apply to those procedures of the suit that will happen after the transfer has occurred. So essentially the procedures that have already been completed will remain untouched. So that makes sense, right? Because the only other alternative is to redo the already completed procedures afresh under the new regime, which is, of course, clearly very silly. So that's fairly straightforward, don't you think? Well, not really. So this is where it gets very interesting. What does it mean for procedures in the old suit to be complete? So let's say disclosure, discovery and inspection of documents is complete before the suit is transferred. And now the transfer happens. After the transfer, the defendant comes in and says that I wish to disclose one further document. Now, as is always the case, the plaintiff objects, citing all of the rules on expedited disclosure that I've already mentioned above. And the plaintiff then argues that the defendant is only allowed to disclose at this delayed juncture by resorting to what is basically a very restrictive mechanism under the new act. But the defendant now argues that the stage of disclosure, discovery and inspection 
was already completed before the transfer. And so any procedure that is even remotely connected to disclosure, and in this case, that is disclosure of a fresh document, will also be governed by the old regime. Now, as a quick aside, a defendant will want to argue this because the old regime is far more relaxed in terms of allowing late disclosures. But more on that in another episode. So you get what I'm trying to say, right? Now let's come to my argument. I propose that the defendant should not be allowed to take recourse of the old regime. Even though the stage of discovery is complete, the disclosure of a fresh document, in my considered opinion, is a new procedure. Now it will be useful for me to recap here and look at what section 15, subclause 3 of the Act, states. It basically says that where any suit or any application, including an application under the Arbitration Act, relating to a commercial dispute of specified value, shall stand transferred to the commercial division, the provisions of this Act shall apply to those procedures that were not complete at the time of the transfer. Now, to decide which of the two regimes applies to a particular procedure, Section 15.3 does not contemplate a stage-based test, as the defendants might want to argue. And as is clear from a bare reading of the provision, the test is whether a particular procedure has been completed or not. And the stress here is on the word procedure, not on the word stage. So in this case, let's say I'm the plaintiff. I shall not dispute that the stage of discovery and inspection was already complete. It is my argument that under Section 15.3, all that it means for a stage to be completed is that all the procedures constituting that stage were already complete before the suit was transferred. So contrary to what might be argued by the defendants, this does not lead to the conclusion that an application for the disclosure of further documents will also be governed by the old regime. This is because even though such an application may be said to be a part of an already completed stage, it is, in and of itself, a fresh procedure. Now, to give effect to the legislative intent behind Section 15.3, which I have already narrated to you at the very beginning of the episode, the correct test is not category-based, but temporal. So in other words, let me like break this down a little bit. The question that one needs to ask is, was the procedure already completed before the transfer? If the answer is in the affirmative, then Section 15.3 kicks in in order to prevent a retroactive application of the provisions of the Act to those completed procedures. At the same time, it guards against an application of the old regime to a new procedure, such as the application for production of further documents. Even though semantically speaking, such procedure may be said to fall under the category of discovery and inspection. Now, if you were to look at it, this is essentially the mischief rule of interpretation. The mischief that is being prevented by Section 15.3 is it, it's a two-way street. One way of the street essentially is that there will be no retroactive application of 
the new and expedited procedures under the Act to procedures that have already been completed in the suit. Now, the reason for this is very simple. The alternative that you have is to essentially say that all those procedures are null and void and let's redo all of that. And that increases delay. And the other thing that it tries to prevent is that when you are trying to perform a new procedure after the transfer, then the old act cannot apply and it will be the new act that applies. And again, the reason behind this is the expeditious disposal and adjudication of commercial disputes. So, if you were to look at this question of law from the standpoint of legislative intent and the mischief rule, I think this is the only interpretation that's possible. I understand that there will be defendants and in other cases plaintiffs who will want to aver that the old regime applies. However, that is not in line with the intent of the act. And if this issue were to ever come up before a court, I would think that this is what they need to hold if they want to uphold the very reason for enacting the Commercial Courts Act. Now that was my interpretation, and I invite you to challenge me on this and to try and come up with a possible alternative reading of Section 15.3 and more generally, the scheme of the Act. That's all I have for you today, and I'll see you very soon in the fifth episode of Ode to the Court. Thank you so much.